morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today here at First Christian Church. If you're a guest, as BJ has already mentioned, we're very glad you're with us. Um, I'm glad everybody's here in the West Auditorium. Those here in the East Auditorium, we're very glad you're with us as well. Lovington, congregation there. It's really cool to have a congregation that meets in a variety of different places each week. If you're worshiping with us online, we're also glad you're with us. And for guests particularly, uh, welcome. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you in Scripture this morning. If you'll take your Bible, please, or your smartphone, your tablet, whatever the case may be, and turn to Matthew chapter 1, first, first, first page of the New Testament, all right, where, where we get the first glimpse of Jesus Christ and... Um, his story of his life, so we'll look there in just a few, minute, few minutes while, we, while you're looking for that. Just a reminder that next Sunday is Orchestra Sunday, and uh, next week I'm going to play in my horn in the, in the, in the band, in the uh, orchestra, and I'd love to have you or someone from your house join me, okay? Here's what I figured out after playing in the band and orchestra a variety of settings for years upon years, that parents... You paid a lot of money to have that to buy the instrument, or you're paying on a monthly right now. And you banished that instrument and its player to the basement about two years ago. Well, let them out. Let them out. They can come play with us in the orchestra next Sunday, all right? Or also, maybe you played an instrument somewhere along the line and it's been buried in the back of a closet for many years, and you go, I don't even know if it's a saxophone, if the reed works, we can get your reeds. If you say, I don't even know if I can get my embouchure right to get the trumpet going, we'd love to have you play. We're going to help you out with that. There are two rehearsals, one tomorrow night, Monday night, and one Tuesday night, and then we're going to be in the East Auditorium next Sunday. So I'd invite you to um, get engaged, get your kids engaged. If, if they've had a couple years of playing in band at school, we'll help them, all right? We'll help them, and we'd love to see them lead worship in the East Auditorium next weekend. All right, so Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Leslie and I were... Um, we were recently in a restaurant having, having a meal, and the check came, and I gave the server my credit card, and she came back with the slip to be, you know, you got to sign it. And then she handed me the slip of my credit card. She said, you have the coolest name possible. Well, nobody's ever said that to me before, so I was quite proud of myself suddenly for having such a great name. Uh, and I'm looking at it. She goes, think of it this way. You are two superheroes in one. You are Bruce Wayne... Batman, and you are Clark Kent, Superman. I'm going, I know, I know. I'm glad that somebody finally noticed this finely tuned physique. I am, I am felt and set for all kinds of athletic endeavors designed to save people from the clutches of some madman out to uh, bring some crazed antic and set the world ablaze. I am saddened that my alter egos are now known, but I'll, I will just keep it in this circle right now, okay? And no, I'm not going to perform any feats of strength, even though I could, <laughs> given my name. There's not a phone booth around or anything like that. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to have two first names. Actually, I have three first names. Wayne Canton in the middle is Daryl. Daryl is a middle name, always makes me think of, this is my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. <laughs> so as you remember that TV show. I've done a little research on my name, and um, it's not very exciting what it means. I mean, I'd like to think that, you know, my name Wayne means that I'm a superhero. It might mean that I'm a mighty man, that I'm full of integrity, that I'm intelligent, something like that. No. The meaning of my name, Wayne, means 
Wagon maker. Great. It's not even a profession that exists anymore unless you're Amish or something like that, and I'm not. And it's not even a really popular name anymore. According to Behind the Name, the site that examines all these names, apparently I was very popular in days gone by, but I sort of became unpopular in the 1950s or so. I'm, I'm so here's what the graph is, looks like of what, I'm mean, like, for crying out loud. I mean, I, I was named Wayne in 1958 on the downhill slide. I've been, I haven't been hip even since the day I was born. There are some people who are still named Wayne now and then. In 2016, here in the U.S., some babies were named Wayne. 327 boys and three girls. No, I'm lying about the girls. There were no girls named. And actually, as on that site, as they're saying, what do you think about this name for a boy? What do you think of if you would choose the name Wayne? And people respond and say, this is what we think about Wayne as a name. Basically, not a good idea. It's, for example, the first at the list. First at the list is a serial killer name. Great, especially when a middle name. Another, next, next on the list. I mean, no, I mean, next on the list, another low-class name. You didn't, you know, I didn't know a single Wayne or come to think of it a Dwayne in college. Wayne will be lucky if he makes it out of high school. Don't doom your kid with this one. Oh, fine, fine. I'll have you know I made it all the way out of college. John Wayne Gacy was a serial killer known as the Killer Clown. Well, yeah, I'm not liking this name at all. Why else did they name the crazy place of antics Wayne's World? <laughs> Next on the list, when you say Wayne, it sounds like wine. Whining. As a matter of fact, when my aunt calls me from Australia, she usually goes, is wine there? Or how are you, wine? And I'll say, I'm fine. <laughs> and so when I was born, I was named Wine. As Australians would say, Wine. I'm, my name is Wine. I'm kind of exaggerating, but nonetheless. But you know, names are important, aren't they? They're so important that we understand the falsehood, the untruth of the nursery rhyme that says, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. We know that's totally false. Because sticks and stones may break a bone, but the broken bone can be mended. We know that getting called an ugly or mean name, that never leaves a person's psyche or remembrance. Names are important in the Bible. The Bible is not simply full of rules and regulation and, and kind of lifestyle choices. I mean, it's all there, but it's all centered around stories, around people with real names. Think of these names from the Bible. Abraham. David, Esther, Moses, Cain, Mary, Saul, Paul. Can I go back through the list again and give you just a few ideas briefly of the story behind the name? Abraham, the father of a nation. Ah, oh, there's a story there, right? David, the king, mightiest king of Israel. Esther, the queen who saved her people. Moses, the emancipator. A million people get out of slavery. Cain, ah, the one who murdered his own brother. Mary, the mother. Saul, the persecutor who became Paul, the apostle. 
Just mentioning those names and those few brief descriptions of them, for many of you here today, you know the stories. See, the identities of people in Scripture are important, as are their names. There are some 3,000 people, there's 3,000 different names listed in the Bible, identified by name. It's like, well, it's not just this guy or this woman. It's, it's, no, this person with this specific name. Just look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, the passage of Scripture you're holding in your hand right now. What do you see? You see a list of names. There's a backstory to each name that's there. This understanding of the importance of names is carried out throughout all of Scripture. When you get towards the end of the Bible, in 3 John, you've got John, who is the closest disciple that Jesus had. I mean, they were, they were buddies. They were, they, were, they were tight. And as he's talking to his, some of his friends, he's writing a letter. You know what he says? Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. And he says, by the way, when you greet them on my behalf, greet them by name. Just don't say, you all have a lovely day. No, greet them by name. So what's the Bible saying in that regard? Identities count in Scripture. No one is a faceless number. Each name is a person, and each person has a name. The Bible places a high value on people. And we're going to look at that today, as we've been doing in the last weeks. We are in Lent, moving in toward our Easter celebration. And throughout this season, each year, we always want to do something that focuses specifically on Jesus. And so right now, in the weeks leading into Easter, we're looking at different names that Scripture ascribes to Jesus Christ. Now, you know some of them, Savior of the world, Son of God. But there are others that are available too. And so for today, we're going to take a look at this one name, just one name. When we say that Jesus has a name, and his name is Emmanuel. What do we mean when we say Jesus' name that we're looking at today is Emmanuel? What we're going to do is we are looking at, in the Lent season, we're going to look at the Christmas story, the coming of Jesus. I know it's Lent and Christmas was a number of months ago, but frankly, if we didn't have the Christmas story, we wouldn't have Lent and we certainly wouldn't have Easter. So with that, would you read the Christmas story with me, Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, so they haven't been married yet, though you need to understand an engagement in the ancient world in Israel was very closely related to a marriage, more closely than what we have. They are, for all intents and purposes, married. They're married, they're sort of a legal, legal arrangement. They don't live together, they don't sleep together, but they are for, in the eyes of everybody, it's a connection that can't be broken easily. It's not just breaking a, an engagement, but if they were to break off, it's like a divorce. As a matter of fact, you see this. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, now we would say he's not her husband, he's fiance, but this is ancient language here. They would describe that engagement process. Once the engagement takes place, he's the husband, okay? Her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public grace. So what did he do? He had in mind to divorce her quietly. To break the engagement would be similar to breaking a marriage in terms of the documents and the plans involved. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, this is now quoting out the book of Isaiah, and the virgin will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And so what we have there is we have a long narrative to get to the major point for today. That Jesus is Emmanuel. Do you see that in verse, uh, verse 23? Jesus is Emmanuel. And the Bible tells us what that name means. It means God with us. So the, the result of Jesus coming, Jesus with us, God with us, it means that this isn't God apart from us. This isn't God against us. This isn't God unaware of us. This isn't God forsaking us. This isn't God punishing us. This isn't God versus us. This isn't God oblivious to us. No, this is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God came in the flesh as Jesus, God as human. This is what Christians believe. Christians believe that the baby Jesus the teaching adult Jesus, the dying, saving Jesus, and the resurrected, conquering Jesus, we believe that was God in the flesh. That man with that name Jesus was God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. We would say it this way, that Jesus, very God, very God, became fully human for any number of reasons. One, would, one reason would be so that we would know, if you will, we would know that God knows what it's like to live a human life. Because if he had simply stayed in heaven, then I suspect some might say, well, God doesn't really understand. God doesn't get it what it's like for me to live down here. God doesn't get the joyous moments, but God really doesn't get the struggles and the pain and the ugliness and the, oh, the debate and the conflict and just the, uh, God doesn't get that. God doesn't know what it's like to have sticks and stones break his bones and to be called names that really do break spirits. But we would say, God does know that because Jesus Christ, his bones were broken and he was indeed called ugly names. Jesus left heaven. Fully God left heaven. The book of Colossians puts it, puts it this way. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of divine God lives in bodily form. That's what Christians believe, that God actually showed up on earth to walk with us. And here's how Paul describes it in Philippians, that Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, as we chatted last week, he took a position lower than the angels. He left heaven, took a position lower than the angels, being found in appearance as a man. He moved down. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus as our creator, yes, that's another name for Jesus, that he is our creator, that scripture gives that to Jesus, that Jesus as creator not only made us, but as Emmanuel, God in the flesh, he has lived with us, he has lived in our shoes, he's walked, if you will, far more than a mile in your shoes, and consequently he knows of your life. Jesus, Emmanuel, his name indicates this. He understands you. He comprehends you. He experienced life with all of its strengths and weaknesses. And I'd like to show you two ways that that has some implications for us today. When we say that Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. 
First of all, we can say that Jesus, Emmanuel, understands your past completely. If you are, we have some tiny little babies in, in the building today that are six weeks old maybe, if that much. We had some babies born this week in the life of our church. And, and once you're about three minutes old, you have a past. Something happened in the last three minutes of that birth and in the nine months previously, but you have a past even at that young age. And, you, and maybe you're six years old here today. You have a past. Maybe you're 16 or 26 or 56 or 96. You have a past and you can look in the rear view mirror, if you will, of your, of your life and say, something happened back there. Some moments were really cool. Some were more difficult. The difficult ones were so dark, some of them, that if you were to say, I would be transcribing that, then you would want black paper and you want to write those words of that story with very dark gray ink. Because those were dark moments. And you look back and you go, oh man. But did you know, friends, Jesus understands your past. He's been on the earth in the past. He lived a human life. In fact, I suspect that some of you who have a past where you go, okay, I'm looking in the mirror and I can see backwards. I can see the places where Jesus understood what was going on in my life. Here's what I mean. Our congregation has a variety of generations, probably four if not five generations. We do have, we had a little baby born on Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere around there. We've got more babies due this week, okay? And so we have very, very young children, and we've got people in their 20s, people in their 40s, people in their 90s. Some in the life of our church can remember World War II. Many can't. Some can remember the first time that a phone was put in your, fo in your house. And it, it wasn't you know, rotary dial-up. It wasn't push button. It was literally pick up the phone. I'd like to talk to so-and-so, please. And the operator would... I remember the first phone we had in our house in Australia. The telephone arrived there a little bit later than it did here in the U.S. Yet, I would say there are some here who, if we were to put a rotary phone in front of you, wouldn't know what it was. You'd be looking for a way to put a cassette tape in it to get it to work. So you have a smartphone and you go, there's a cassette. Some are so young that they have no recollection of 9-11 in 2001 or Desert Storm. People across a huge age span. We also have not only young to old in terms of age, we also have some young to old in terms of people's walk with Christ. Some are very new in their walk with Christ, maybe just a few days or a few weeks old. Some people committed their life to Christ last weekend in the service in the worship service. And some have walked with Jesus for 70 years. So I'd like to try an experiment with all of us today. And uh, it's a little bit scary. We've never done this in church before. Uh, but I, here's my sense. There are people in the life of our church who've walked with Jesus a long time. And as you look in your rear view mirror, you can say, man, when I go back to those dark moments, in, in retrospect, I can see that God was really there and Jesus was walking with me. And you consequently, I would say this, because you, you can look back there and you say, hey, God answered my prayers of the past. And as he answered my prayers, it's the reason I'm here today because I can lean in with faithfulness to what God has done. I experienced it. Now, that means for many of us, we may have been in church when church didn't look like what it looks like now. 
And you might remember things from church in the past. And I would say, wouldn't it be nice for you to tell people your story and that we could do something We say, let's walk around with a roving mic in this room in an East Auditorium in Lovington and say, let's all tell each other this. It doesn't work like that. But I have a way in which those of you who say, looking in the mirror, looking backwards, I know of the story of Jesus Christ being with me. And we're gonna sing a song. And I'm gonna rely on those of you that would normally say, I'd stand up and give my testimony, but we can't do that. I'll sing out loud this song that probably you have to have been in church a long time to know. We're not using the vocal team. I'm gonna try not to sing myself, which all of you are gonna say thank you. And, and we're gonna sing it out loud, those of us who know it, for those who are younger in Christ to hear of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And this is a prayer, the song is a prayer, that many of us, in singing in church 30 years ago, probably sang this song. See if you know it. And if you do, folks, don't leave me alone. <laughs> don't leave me alone. And, and frankly, can I tell you, we got people watching online right now and worshiping with us in line. And for them to hear your story, you got to sing loud. All right? This is your tryout for the vocal team. No, I'm just teasing. It goes like this. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead Verse number two. One more time, the first verse. Pass the test, by the way. You sang well. We'll see you in choir practice Tuesday night. Now, most importantly, you know what we just did right then in a really kind of unusual way? We let those of us who have a long walk with Christ say to those who are newer in Christ, God understood my past. And my past is long enough that it's got a long history, so long that I know songs of prayers that God answered in the past that you don't even know yet. You know, friends, here's, I'm convinced of this. 
absolutely convinced of this. Jesus Christ understands your past. He knows of your struggles. He knows of your celebrations. He knows of your sins. The places where you've just messed up. Do you know what? This God, this Emmanuel who left heaven, he humbled himself and made himself obedient to death on the cross so that your past can be forgiven. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. But Jesus has an understanding that goes beyond your past. Jesus, as Emmanuel, also understands and knows your future. And as you got questions about the future, you can rest assured that Jesus Christ understands what it's like to think about the future. You know, I've got decades, for me personally, I've got decades of leaning into Jesus taking care of me in the moment, and that gives me, if you will, a confidence that he also has my future in hand as well. For example, some of you may know that in the week before Christmas in 2014, Christmas, I think that year was on Tuesday, and on the Friday before, I had this pain right here. I called Dave Baumberger. He said, I want to see you in the ER right now. And Dave had an inkling of what was going on, namely that I was having a heart trouble, and I didn't even know it. I didn't have a heart attack, but I came this close to it. And Saturday morning, I found myself under a surgeon's knife, and three stints were put in my heart. And uh, I've chatted with the recipients of other stints, I mean other people who have stints uh, since then, and I've learned that for some of them, it can be a source of worry. I, I must tell you, I rarely think about it. I am um, sure I have to watch my diet, uh, but you do too, right? And I eat very little red meat. I think I might have had one steak since Christmas of 2014. I get to have, I allow myself to have a hamburger with fries about once every six months, um, last Friday night or a week ago, Ben and I went to Crackles. Oh, isn't that lovely? <laughs> when you've not had a hamburger but like once or twice a year, can I tell you, it is sweet stuff. Oh, I hope they serve that at the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven. What, something, you know, let's bring it on, bring it on. But worrying about my three stints, I really don't. You know why? Jesus understands my future. You know, the Apostle Paul had a sense of this. He said in Philippians chapter 1, that for, me, for to me, he says, if I get to live, I'm living with Christ. And if I don't get to live, I'm still, it's still all good. So, so I, I live there daily. So, um, you know, at the house with less, it's really cool. We go for a walk, it's really cool. We were in Australia a few weeks ago, visiting family, it was really cool. The grandkids come over, the grand, I was with the, in the playground today with the, little, with the twins, you know, two and a half years old. It's all really cool, doing life with you as the pastor of this church, it's all really cool. Now there are moments where there's some stress, I get that, but right now, this very moment, I can say, it is all good to live right now as Christ. I walk with him daily, but if I don't get to do that tomorrow, I'm cool with that. Now, trust me, I'm planning on a lot more years, absolutely. And there are days just that I'm like you, I wonder what the years ahead will be like. I ponder the same questions you do. But Jesus understands my future. He walked on this earth as a human so that we would know that, that he knows what it's like to walk as a human. What went through his mind when Calvary was approaching? A week out, he knows, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. 
And it's going to get really ugly. Who's going to be the ugliest? What are they going to say? What's it going to feel like to have my bones broken? What's it going to feel like to be called those names? He certainly understands the inner thought processes that we have and the conversations we have with ourselves. Why? Because he lived it. And I find comfort there. I find comfort that whether I live or whether I die, Jesus has already figured that out. Let, let, let me see if I could explain it this way. Um, the ways in which Jesus understands your past and your future. Our nation has um, some very defining moments that we can look at throughout history. Like, for example, you got the Declaration of Independence in the 1700s. You got the Gettysburg Address in the 1800s. In the 20th century, there are some other defining moments, like D-Day. Excuse me, D-Day. When General Eisenhower sent all the Allied forces across the English Channel and they landed on Normandy's, on the beaches at Normandy, France, and they started the push into, into the rest of Europe. I learned something this week about that moment of D-Day that I had never heard before. That General Eisenhower ha actually had two speeches prepared for that moment. One would be to say to the nation, We've, we're doing really well, and they've landed on the beach, and all is well. That's the one he got to use. He also had a second one written that was to say, we didn't succeed. We've lost lives. We've had to retreat. He had both speeches ready to go. And I learned just this week, apparently, that this is a common practice of the leaders of our nation when they face these moments of def definition in the life of our, of our, of our nation. For example... When Apollo 11 landed on the moon in 1969, President Nixon had two speeches written. One, to celebrate this great victory as the men took off and got re reunited with the, with the mothership, if you will. They had a, he had a second speech, though, written in case the mission failed, in case the nation had to watch that if that lunar module did not take off, we would watch and listen as two men eventually ran out of air and died. That national terror of what we would face, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, dying, he had a speech written for that. Here's how it goes in part. I won't be able to read it all for you today, but it's, it's entitled, In the Event of a Moon Disaster. Fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. They'll be mourned by their family and friends. They'll be mourned by their nation. They'll be mourned by the people of the world. They'll be mourned by a mother earth that dared send two of her sons into the unknown. Imagine if we'd heard this speech. Imagine, I mean, I remember 1969 when those two men were on the moon. What would have been like if they, when they went to take off if that module had not taken off? The speech goes on to say, in ancient days, men looked at stars and saw their heroes in the constellations. In modern times, we do much the same, but our heroes are epic men of flesh and blood in the constellation of the moon. I mean, it's clever writing. Others will follow and will surely find their way home. Man's search will not be denied, but these men were the first, and they will remain the foremost in our hearts. Now, it's interesting, Bill Sapphire, who wrote the speech for Nixon, had a side note saying that after the president's statement, and at the point when NASA ends communication with the men, a military chaplain was to, over the air and into the module, 
so that they would hear if they'd already died, if they were alive, or they would hear it as they were dead, if so to speak, that it would be over their bodies, and the whole nation was to hear that this chaplain was to use the same procedure in the same language when a sailor is buried at sea. That the chaplain was to commend the souls of these two men to the deepest of the deep, and then finish with the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> this was stunning news to me. I'd never heard this story before until I read it this week. And uh, it occurs to me, if the President of the United States can be prepared for either life, the module gets to take off, or death, the module stay in there and we don't have good news. If the President of the United States can be prepared for this or that to happen, then I'm so glad, friends. I'm so glad that God in Jesus Christ, because he's walked this earth as Emmanuel, he's got it all in hand as to whether or not we live or not whether we die. It's all good. Why? Because Emmanuel, God with us, has walked as a human. And no matter the past and the need for forgiveness, no matter the future and the concern about this, that, or the other, no matter the concerns or the, the say, where the celebration's going to be or where the moments of terror are going to be, Jesus Christ has already been there. You're not alone. Why? Because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.